Hello, you guys. Welcome back to Eldest Daughter, a podcast in discovery of what makes a cycle breaker. Per usual, we'll be dipping into the stories, experiences, identities that go into becoming somebody who chooses the role that they want to be rather than the, the role that they were given. And today, I am joined by none other than Jez Chung. Hello. Jez, I'm just going to read your bio. Okay. Jez is a multidisciplinary artist from Georgia and Texas. We both went to the University of Texas. Hook em. Hey. Hook em. Now based in New York City, exploring the intersection of personal transformation and collective change. With a background in movement, performance, and community organizing, Chung blends elements of their personal history as an autistic, disabled, queer, Korean-American into their work to explore accessible, equitable, and liberated futures. Truly, that could not describe Jez more perfectly from the outside looking in. Jez is one of the most dynamic creatives that I have ever been granted the opportunity to witness and i feel really really grateful to be here with you today thank you so much kendra you Absolutely. know how i feel about you and how every time i open tiktok it's a blessing to see anything that you share thank you every single time it's a gem 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 after gem and i think it's when you asked uh if i wanted to be a part of this it was immediate yes because i knew we would have a great conversation because your mind is brilliant thank you so much thank you i'm nothing but a mirror of you and also like so much of my work is inspired by you and i think that that's what's so brilliant about kind of the interconnectivity of all of the creatives that kind of are, are our peers in, in this like cohort of you know people who are raising collective consciousness is that we just get to be mirrors for each other and playmates exactly which i feel so grateful Bouncing for off each other's energy exactly and it's so apt that you're here because today is may 1 and it is um asian pacific american heritage month which is sorry iconic and also it's the beginning of mental health awareness month yes both yeah exactly which is so insanely apt because you are such a powerful voice um in the space of mental health awareness in a way that feels really not only accessible but also challenging you you are challenging the ideas of how we describe mental health and what it means to become mentally well in specific, um, namely because of your experience also being a neurodivergent person. So I would love if you shared a little bit about your experience in being neurodivergent and why it was so important for you to incorporate that in your public message. Oh, beautiful question. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about because it impacts me every single day. Yes. How I move through the world, especially living in New York City. Yeah. This city is so overstimulating. And so I didn't Incredible. realize actually that... Um, so. For people who don't know what neurodivergent means, it just means someone whose brain processes information, socializes, learns in a different way than what's considered quote unquote normal, though there is no such thing as normal. That's really what the neurodiversity paradigm and the neurodiversity movement mm. is trying to say, that yes. there is no normal. Let's stop upholding this idea that is rooted in a lot of ableism. Absolutely. So um, I didn't realize I was autistic until my late 20s. And then I've known I was ADHD, or I experienced ADHD since I was a kid, yes. but didn't really get an official diagnosis since right. um, until, again, my mid-20s. So it wasn't until my late 20s that I d discovered all this language yes. that helped me understand this is why I experience the world in such a different way right. than um, my classmates throughout mm. school, than a lot of my friends. Right. 
And now and your peers moving through your adult life as well. Exactly. And now I have a lot more neurodivergent friends so we can kind of yes. share these experiences. I, I saw this meme the other day that was like neurodivergent people um walk around like a pack of dysregulated wolves so if all of your friends if all of your friends are neurodivergent then guess what i have news for you and it's so funny because that is quite literally how i found out that i should definitely pursue a diagnosis in adhd mm -hmm. um, which i was diagnosed with adhd two years ago and that was after really, really actively pursuing that with mental health professionals and also through TikTok, which I think is really interesting because we hear so much like kind of dogging the dissemination of information about both neurodivergence and mental health online. But for me, that was an awakening because I didn't understand that all the things that I had deemed to what you were saying, abnormal or dysfunction was actually not only just a state of being, but also one of my gifts. And the more that I was kind of acting outside of my natural order in order to mask or in order to show up the way that neurotypical people expected me to, the more challenging my life would be. And I finally had this answer as to why I am like, a self-employed person and like why I'm obsessed with community and why I'm obsessed with all the things that I'm obsessed with is actually a part of my neurodivergence. Yes. But I was not able to own that before, you know, and wasn't able to, again, act within the order of my natural way of being. Yes. And you are somebody that kind of released me from that challenge, which oh. is why I feel so strongly about you and your work. Oh, that's beautiful. What were some things? Well, first of all, I actually want to roll back to childhood mm -hmm. jazz. I saw a post that you made in which you created a mission statement for yourself in your life's purpose at 12 years old yes. which is like so iconic and also you have capricorn placements right six ah okay wait hold on what's your sun sign capricorn what day uh, january 2nd i'm january 20th i'm the day of the turn so i've got that cap rising cap mars and it is here um it, but to me that makes a lot of sense that a, a 12 year old child would have a personal mission statement <laughs> with all those capricorn placements and you said <laughs> to strive to fulfill the potential of complete and utter happiness. Oh, I want to cry. We all bear inside ourselves, transforming each challenge life throws at you into a lesson of wisdom and strength to attain all your goals while maintaining your personal morals. Despite how corrupt the rest of the world may become to stay true to oneself, even after enduring the best and the worst of life, everything they do, they do with the hopes. That's wild yeah <laughs> like i i just i cannot believe that you had the sense of self the sense of purpose and the awareness of people outside of yourself at that time although now i'm sure looking back you realize that was also part of a neurodivergent gift is your ability sure. for, to deep have perspective thinking. deep thinking because you know hyper fixating obsessing and i think people who knock tiktok as a way of people diagnosing themselves are mm. knocking this form of access what yes. tiktok does is give us access yes and to people who historically have not seen people like them talk about their lived experiences their actual experiences right living with adhd or being autistic mm -hmm. and yeah i think that's a gift of being neurodivergent it is. deep thinking and yes. i've always been that way and totally. i always thought that there was something wrong with me for that because you know when you're mm. young and you're you're sharing these things with people people don't really want to talk philosophically no they don't they don't i actually had a really similar experience when i was young i i always say like growing up i never had relationships with like cis like socialized men 
I never had like a lot of like boyfriends and it's taken me a really long time to understand this. Obviously part of that is hashtag trauma, but also I realized that part of that was my neurodivergence because something that I was really fixated with was being human. And I didn't understand at the time it was because I didn't understand that naturally. I wasn't getting the cues in the same way that other people expected me to. Right. But I also felt so deeply entrenched in the human condition Oh, and in loving people and wanting to be accessible to them in the sweetest way. I can really give myself that. I really, really wanted to be known and to know people. Oh, that's exactly, I feel like that's me at my core too. I just Mm -hmm. want to love and connect with people. And there's a lot of stigma about autistic people that autistic people are not social. And it's like, no, autistic people can be very social. It's just on their specific terms. And they just have, we just have different modes and every autistic person is different, has different preferences for communicating. But it's interesting you say that because a lot of autistic people I've heard say, like, I feel alien in this world. And a lot of neurodivergent mm. people actually are really people of just any cultural differences, um, just say, I feel so different. A lot mm-hmm. of queer people say this. And for me, I've, yes, sometimes I do feel like an alien. And sometimes I'll say, like, yeah, I'm an alien. I'm not from this planet. But more so, I actually think I'm so deeply human, human. in a world that is Speak constantly that. trying to to shame us out of our humanity. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that so much because I think as somebody who has frequently said that, and I think specifically I I have often caught myself, especially in my early 20s, saying that I felt alien to love. Mm. And a lot of my work in restoring and rehabilitating my sense of self was actually affirming the fact that I was born in love and understanding it so intrinsically. And that I was gifted exactly all of the tools, resources, and skills um, necessary to show up for that version of love. And, like, I love the fact that you also mentioned, you know, it's like this, this alienness. And it's like alien to who and to what system, right? And a part of us owning ourselves is, like, deconstructing that idea. It's like alien to what? Yes. Because it's not to love. It's not to knowing. It's not to connection because we have those things. Yes. And you will always find those things when you show up authentically. So exactly. it's like alien to what? Exactly. And that's part of decolonizing too, right? Mm -hmm. Because who are we centering? That's part of white supremacy. What is the normal? Exactly. That's part of heteropatriarchy, heteronormativity. That's part of white supremacy. That's part of ableism. Capitalism just tells us you have to fit into this box. Absolutely. This is what it means to be a valuable human. Right. Yes. Let's talk about those boxes. So, you know, we mentioned, we mentioned the 12 year old mission statement of Jess, which I'm obsessed with. I want you to describe to me what you were like as a child and how you feel like that mission statement. How have you been able to show up for that mission statement? What has that looked like for you? What's the hero's journey? Because you've had a very interesting and like kind of unconventional, like you were in tech for a while and you moved out of that. I want to hear more about that. Yes, yes. I was in advertising. I was in the, me being in advertising was me trying to be creative in um, in a Mm. way that was still giving me stability in a corporate sense. Absolutely. Structure. Yes, structure. Exactly. And so Oh, that's such a great question. What was I like as a kid? I remember, speaking of ADHD, I remember during recess just running around in circles trying to get my energy out. I would just run around the circles in the gym, like just screaming, trying. I'm obsessed I was with that. So excited about life and yeah. I was just so enthusiastic. I need to do that now. Right. At, at 30 years old. <laughs> right, I need to do exactly. that right now. Just yeah. running. But then also, I had these different modes where. I was either doing that or I remember distinctly one of my earliest memories that I think about a lot, especially as I'm working on my second book now, it's a memoir, and I'm thinking about what are the through lines Mm -hmm. of my life. I used to go around the playground and make sure everyone has someone to play with. 
Mm-hmm. So I would go, and this is where my love for community and my commitment to community and belonging and inclusion comes from. I would just kind of see, okay, do, is anyone feeling left out? Yes. If they would, I would go and sit with them and be like, hey, what's up? Like, you know, do you want a buddy? And then just make sure, like, I didn't want people to feel alone because I didn't see when we were all, you know, on the playground together, why should someone feel alone? Absolutely. Why should someone feel alone? Right. So I remember, like, those are two kind Did of Did you feel alone? Did you feel Definitely. isolated? Definitely. Because yeah. I didn't grow up with, around a lot of other Asians. Though right. Atlanta has a big Korean-American population. Yes. I didn't grow up with a lot of other Asians at mm. all. And I just always felt different. I didn't have the language of being Asian American. I didn't mm-hmm. have the language of... I came into my queerness, you know, my in my mid-20s, too, because I grew yes. up in a really... Talk about cycle breaking. I grew up in a really conservative religious household mm-hmm. where we had to worship like three times a day. Wow. Yeah. So very devout and ritualistic. Very devout and ritualistic. I'm yeah. interested in how you have incorporated, like I always say, I, I knew I was a, a witch early on because I've always been obsessed with ritual. Mm. And like not routine in many ways, but specifically ritual where I felt like I was doing something to find belonging over and over again. And again, a lot of that was connected to being neurodivergent and trying to like regulate myself. But at the same time, I realized that that was just like me being spiritual. So, so young Mm -hmm. and like finding ways again to connect with something in that isolation. So like, what does ritual look like for you today? Oh, like how, is that something that you've continued to carry on despite not, not, needing or also having to release the dogma yes uh, definitely still i mean i think that's why it took me so long to come into my queerness because i was just shamed anytime Mm. i felt power or pleasure i was shamed for feeling that way so i thought anytime i feel powerful or anytime i feel pleasure i need to cut that off immediately (sighs) and so i'm still i still have a lot of religious trauma that i'm still undoing through therapy and through a lot of just self-work but I do think that what it did was just help me stay devoted to something. Mm. I think I still have very devoted practices. I'm very devoted to just a sense of, you know, my idea of God changes every single day, Mm -hmm. but I do consider myself a very spiritual person. Yes. And that I think that my theory now is that God exists within everything and everyone. Mm -hmm. Like the land is God. You are God. I am God. Like everything is God. So that having that reverence, I think, is something that I just move through life with real a lot of intentionality. And right. I think the way that I practice devotion and ritual now is definitely through my creative practices. Yes. Writing, performing. Every time I get a script, I've been acting lately, so every yes. time I get a script and I'm uh, preparing for a self-tape right. audition, I'm you know going through the character. That's a devotional practice. I'm devoting myself to the character. Absolutely. Devoting myself to the story. When I'm writing, I've been working on a book for over two yes. years now. Tell us about that. That Tell oh. us about that. I'm very, very excited. Jess and I both have the same publisher for, for work that's coming out soon. Yes. I want to hear more about that shout out chronicle books <laughs> exactly shout out chronicle um i've been working on it for two years it's called this way to change mm-hmm. um it's a guy a gentle guide to personal transformation and collective liberation so gorgeous and it's uh, and it's like workbook right there's like there's opportunities to physically do the work Interactive. inside which feels so much like you yes. like your work is so incredibly accessible i can't say that enough yes. and also like it feels like you're one thing I love about what you share about your your ritual and your devotion to 
personal transformation, external transformation, liberation, the way that we can show up in our own transformation in a community space is that you are saying, I'm doing this right now. Can you join me? Mm. It feels very playful. It feels very, very playful. Yes. Like you're saying, play with me, like come make this world with me. I love that because I think a lot about how, um, I learn a lot from Alice Wong, this mm -hmm. uh, who, the founder of the Disability, Visibi Disability Visibility Project. And Alice Wong says, access is love. And I've heard a mm. lot of disability justice practitioners say access is an invitation too. So when you say my work is accessible, it feels playful, it just goes so in line with, yes, I think of access as an invitation because all of these you know, things we both talk about, the right. healing practices, somatic ritual, yes. um, just all this, all this language, even the breaking cycles, right. Right. can be maybe intimidating for someone who doesn't know what that language means. Totally. And then, but uh, all this language is an invitation to say, oh, if you don't know what it means here, I'll break it down for you or yes. here, just watch me do it. And do it, it with me. Ex yeah, and do, do it with, with me. me, exactly. Yeah. So I think a lot of why I wanted to make the book interactive was because of my ADHD mm -hmm. and my, um, I just really need to be engaged in something. Right. And so, a lot of the book is an invitation for people to engage with it, to practice it. There's a lot of practices in there. Mm. There's meditations, there's reflection prompts, there's journal prompts, there's care prompts of right. like how to, like one one chapter is how to love like it's the most important job you have. <gasps> I think that is gorgeous. Yeah. That is gorgeous and I feel like that's connected to what you were saying earlier about your version of devotion and, and ritual and kind of how God shows up, right? And as you were speaking, I was like, yes, period, period, period. Because I associate my definition of God. I always say I observe little G God mm -hmm. without a humanistic identity. It is everything. It's clarity, it's connection, it's creativity, any act that we take in showing up to love and allowing love to come to our aid. And that includes through creative endeavor, um, in relationships, we are showing up for God. We are God in that way. And it feels like that, that is another definition of that or a way that you're expressing that is through that, like showing up for love. Like it's the most important job you have. Oh, I, I love it. And all those Capricorn placements too. Yeah. You're like, love is work and <laughs> don't is. forget it. It's love labor, is work. Care it work. Is. That's a book by Leah Lakshmi Pyachna Summer Singha, um, care work, dreaming disability justice. And it talks about care as work. Cause it yes. is, there's labor involved, but it's labor that, that uh, just makes so much mm. beauty out of our relationships to each other. To yes, ourselves. totally. One of my favorite things about you and to go back to the play, because I feel like it's just so obvious is that you are constantly playing. You, uh, regularly participate in vocal coaching, right? And like your voice is beautiful and it gets more beautiful every week. Oh, and I love the you. fact that I get to share in that with you. I'm like, damn they hit that note like they did it last week like that is so beautiful um your makeup the way that you dress like i feel like an active participant in your life because i get to see who you are mm. and that feels like it's connected to a lot of things right i think that we develop that instinct again through social isolation or through feeling like you don't really get it or people don't really get you and so instead you wear these things very loudly so that they have an understanding of you which feels like really safe it's a you language feel like it's, it is it is totally was play something that you were taught or like able to show up for as a child or as a young person and when did you decide that that was going to become a part of you? Like, do, would you identify play as a part of your cycle breaking or your exp your expression, a version of your cycle breaking? Wow. I've never thought of it in that sense, but definitely. I think because I grew up in 
it's interesting because I grew up in a very religious conservative household, but my mom's an artist. Mm. So there was this kind of dichotomy. Like what medium? Um, painting, sculpting, wow. crafts, like just so crafty, um, oil, pastel, liter just yes. truly an artist in that she can just see things and just make things beautiful. Yeah, re-envision, re-imagine. Yes, yeah. So I grew up around a lot of art. Yes. My mom's an, also an art teacher still to this day, so she was always teaching art. She, right. was, she tried to teach me to paint a few times. It never really stuck, but right. there was always paintings around. Totally. But it was also like paintings of Jesus. Right. So it right. was this kind of, you know, this, this It had idea. its limitation. It it to it you. was it was like um express your creativity, but do it for God. Oh, so do it for someone wow. outside of yourself. In a big G God. In not a, a big G, G God. God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was always kind of giving power away. Mm. And so I just always I have this line in um because my book is also poems too. I have the yeah. a line in a poem. I grew up um in a family of women who built sanctuaries and everyone except themselves. So they were very much like, okay, I'm going to. That is so deeply powerful. Yeah, yeah, it was very much just giving, giving this gift away that they had, and not really claiming it themselves. So mm. I think growing up, I kind of made this almost silent vow to myself: No, I want to own my power too. Yes. Because I think that there is so much possible when we understand our power and we own that power, yes. and then we're able to share that power. Right. So I think. Mm. it's it, when you become the sanctuary exactly right yeah yeah with that with that i i always tell my friends and people that i love when we talk about kind of working through re reciprocity which is something i want to dip into with you because you are such a deeply generous spirit mm. and everybody just receives the gifts of your existence and while you're talking i'm thinking about like you know so much of what can become ingrained especially as somebody who was socialized as an asian american korean american woman mm -hmm. i am curious about how you came to understand what it means to receive and like for you know me i always say like people should never come to a house of worship without an offering. Mm. And I consider myself to be a house of worship in a space where we can all rejoice in, in the reality of, of love and belonging and being here in the human existence. But I expect people to come with something mm. in the same way that I have um, because I do that for them. So I'm curious about how you have like come to receive how you learned radical receptivity if you're still learning it, what it looks like to be able to receive as much as you give. Oh, Kendra, that makes me emotional. I'm experiencing that right now. Mm. I feel so like poured into right now because the way you're naming that. all of these things that you see in me, that's a gift that you have, truly. This is Thank a you. gift. I'm so glad you're creating this podcast and that people are going to be able to experience all of the wisdom that you have because to me, I think the more that I get to know myself, the more that I get to attract mm. people like you into my life who get to then, I, feel the I don't always feel seen in that way. People aren't all, always skillful or courageous mm. enough to name these things that they see. And that's a practice I've always been in since I was young. If yes. I think something, I will say, say it. If it. I feel something, I'll say it. Yes. And a lot of the time, because I've always been, my heart has always been so open, open. to love, I see a lot of love. So yeah. I name it. And I think a lot of the time people can be, 
um, either intimidated by that or scared. Sca- yeah, yeah, scares totally. or just they're not used to it. And I understand it. Right. You know, hashtag trauma. Yeah, exactly. You know, pain. Absolutely. But I feel so, you know, you, to your question of when do I feel poured into, when do I feel received? I, in moments like this in conversation. Mm. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about how conversations are my favorite creative practice. Because mm. conversations are a place where we get to play. Yes. We get to bounce ideas off of We're each co-creating. other. We're co-creating. Yes. It's energy. It's in motion. Ideas are in motion. Our ex- we're sharing our experiences. Right. But that's not something that, you know, gets to happen all the time in such a joyful totally. way. So the way that I feel so seen and held and just so joyful and in the in our conversation now, I feel poured into like this is a moment of reciprocity yeah. for me. I feel the same way. I've actually never heard anybody express that explicitly, but I feel the same way. Like to me, conversation and opening up the throat chakra, like allowing space for to be her but also it's so interesting i'm still thinking about the image of young jez like running around in circles to get steam out and i feel very similarly in that i'm like if i feel love i have to say it like i have to say it because otherwise it's going to stick with me and it needs to be out in the world i can't have it in my body anymore you know and that just is the natural flow Uh, you know that's a flow state for me and it's so interesting that you're able to pin that so many people for whatever reasons are, are limited in their ability to do that. And therefore like you may not receive it so intrinsically or like it's not always a two way street. It's so fascinating. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your, your queerness and specifically, um, you know, coming out and being non-binary because I think a, as we mentioned before, you have been socialized as, an Asian American woman. Mm-hmm. And um, I w- want to hear more about, about your experience and kind of transitioning and stepping into gender fluidity and queerness as, as you've learned to accept it and receive it and be received in it. Um, because to me, it makes a lot of, it, not only does it, is it obvious and that I receive you in that, but also it makes a lot of sense in what you are share. You were clearly born to share with the world. Um, and like kind of re- releasing people from dogmatic belief systems and looking more into, I don't like to say the gray, but the colors, the multitudinal colors that exist in the world, because I think removing yourself from the gender binary is removing yourself from black and white thinking. I think you have to challenge everything. Everything. Um, I'm curious about that and, oh. and what that journey has been like for you. It's exactly that. It's a journey of fluidity. And uh, it's so affirming that you say that because I think the way that I experience gender and the, my view of gender changes all the time. Mm-hmm. But I know that, you know, I present very f- quote unquote femme, mm. right? Like the way that I dress, my makeup, all of that. And I think for a long time, because I still like to present very feminine, mm-hmm. I thought I wasn't allowed to claim a non-binary identity mm. because I thought, oh, you have to look a certain way. You have to look, quote unquote, androgynous. Of course. Or it's about presentation. And your and gender then, expression was about other people. Exactly. And yeah. other people. And that gender equals presentation. But gender is an expression. Yes. And there are as many gender expressions as there are people. Mm. And so for me, it's a practice of exactly doing undoing the binary and undoing the performance of gender. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 really complex because in a lot of ways I still identify with being a woman because like you said yes, I've been socialized in that way as in terms of of a political identity, I still identify with being a woman, but every day it changes. Like sometimes I flinch when a lot of people who 
um, don't know that I've changed my pronouns and don't know that I have a more gender fluid identity now will be like, oh, girl. And just like, you know, use all these very uh, feminine gender terms. And I flinch each time. And that's my body telling me we have evolved, we've changed. Mm. And this person is not seeing the the shape of you that you are now. Mm. And it's also really difficult because I really want to also acknowledge that we're in a time of deep transphobia right now in legislation. Let's talk about it. And it's so important to uplift trans voices and trans thought leaders. Absolutely. And so a lot of the time I'm almost afraid of talking about gender online because what happens online, as you know, is once you start talking about something, people automatically assign you as a leader or voice of it. That's exactly right. Right. And so then I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We need to be looking at these at these trans leaders and these thinkers. Right. We need to I am diverting your attention on. over here. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not saying that I am the voice. Right. I'm trying to give somebody else the microphone. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But for me, my personal practice of of undoing the gender binaries is undoing all binary forms of thinking right wrong good bad what if there are no moral binaries right what if there are no yeah that black and white thinking totally when who are you you know i think for me growing up i had a lot of i exist in a lot of binary thinking mostly because i was like definitely raised like very like justice centered people Mm -hmm. and i was really really obsessed with justice as a child and with morality and with undoing what i perceived in the world as wrong that's a very neurodivergent trait that's ex- that's exactly right exactly and so you know that's also why like in a very young age i stepped into activism i was like model un and amnesty international like i was really really obsessed hyper fixated with undoing the wrongs of the world but i also rarely ever thought about what was inherently right and when i say right i mean just like natural order just and like how I can lean into amplifying the voices of what's inherently just in like the natural order of the universe and life and the way that it's already showing up for us and the way that like indigenous communities have already done these things. Um, and that there's like actually so much tradition and old teaching in uh, dismantling binary and actually not observing it at all. right and like that's binary thinking of all all shapes sizes colors creeds kinds and that's what's so beautiful about what's happening we're seeing this movement unfold a lot spurred by tiktok and instagram of decolonizing of spirituality which is really a lot of indigenous teachings that tell us actually abundance is inherent in nature yes so why are we trying to function under this scarcity mindset totally in a false choice exactly like if you give me a and b fuck your a and b and you know what i'm saying like there are a million other options here and i'm gonna i'm already actually instinctually seeing those things right and i think that's like part of what i love about your teaching and i'm so excited to read your book because and to also practice your book is that like i feel like there's so much opportunity that you're giving the people who are consuming your work to consider the millions of other choices. Like you don't have to choose the false choice. Like you've been granted a false choice to be one thing or to be something else, whether it's in gender or the way that you choose to express or how you show up as a creative or how you show up in your career. And it's actually, it could be none of those things, but I am curious about the way that you show up in the grief of stepping out of the binary because for me, I had this really, I always say like my early life crisis and reckoning 
of coming to terms with the fact that like I would have to define myself for me now. I'm not going to get the gold star, which like, again, I have those Capricorn placements. I love a gold star. I have a praise kink. I love being told I'm a good girl. And now I'm not going to get that anymore because people are not going to see me with this like hugely lauded, you know, job and title and an income that they deem worthy, even though I'm doing okay. Right. Like me and my people were good, but like, I'm not going to get that like, round of applause for being me in the same ways and by the same people who I may have once wanted mm -hmm. that from. That's, so what does that look like for you? Oh, that, that's what, that's why I wrote the book to yes. grieve myself, to grieve mm -hmm. all the versions of myself because it's called this way to change. And it's this double entendre of this, this way, here's a way there's many ways, but here's one way. And yes. every different, every page is a different way. It's also like this way to change, like a directive, like let's, mm -hmm. let's change. Let's all go here together. It's by this. Um, it's really inspired. The thesis of it, of the book is inspired by what Grace Lee Boggs taught. Mm. She taught transform yourself to transform the world. And when you transform yourself, you are going to grieve all the versions yes. of yourself that you have to let go of in order to step into really, I believe, I believe deeply everyone has a calling in life. Yes. And I, I feel like you and I are both right in our callings in yes. a lot of ways. And that's why we do the things we do and talk totally. about the things we talk about. Yes. But there is a lot of, yeah, grief and grieving the standards, grieving ideas, grieving right. ideals, grieving values too, valuing, yes. right? Money, currency. Absolutely. And now valuing love, mm. valuing, um, you know, kind of validation and then valuing friendship. Right. Right. Absolutely. Just different value systems. Totally. And like a version of love that actually feels like it's a part of your natural order and not what was what you were told is love, which is often violent and transactional and icy and very western are we getting away yes. from that term i feel like it's a little bit american-centric yeah. western what does that mean we'll talk about that later <laughs> but i yeah it's like when we like pull away all of those like learned and taught ideals and value systems now you have to decide a like i I believe in this and I'm willing to trust myself in my internal goodness. And I think that that has been a challenge for me in specific is like, I can't explain that to people that like, I just know my internal goodness. Mm. Like I, I know that I'm acting in accordance with something that feels right for everybody. And I'm willing to be challenged in that if it's unsure, if, if there is clearly like accrued harm, mm -hmm. that's not a question for me. If somebody's being harmed, I will call me in about that. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I can just trust myself mm. and I think and you've always been no okay. no that happened after a lot of grief and a lot of dismantling that came from like stepping into queerness honoring the fact that I am bisexual and like being a a fat black femme in life like those are all things where I just realized I actually am always going to be rejected by other people's value systems so I have to choose there's a part of that with an identity right and I think that that's also why it was important for me to start doing the work in really defining what makes a cycle breaker and how it is that we show up. Because I think there are a lot of things that are you're born into naturally. Like for me, I think being an eldest daughter was one of those things and being uh, like all of my identities, I think kind of placed me on the fringe to where I knew I was going to always be playing a losing game or a game that I would not feel satisfied with the outcome if I didn't define myself for myself. Ooh. um speak on it Audrey and that's exactly right that's exactly right and i hate losing 
yes i hate losing you know what i'm saying i was like no i'm actually going to create the rules i created the game and the rules and the participants i get to do that i get to do that yes you know to opt out of that narrative and opt into one of our own we get to do it our own way totally but of course like there were accrued necessary losses with that right it's like for a long time there was loss of like natural and easy income there was a loss in order to be a self-employed person and a creative in the way that felt good to me it was like i removed myself from that stability i removed myself from the stability of a lot of my um you know familial inherited relationships like in the way that they stood the relationship with my mom and my my dad and my brother and my sister and my extended family and my relationship with faith and my relation right like all of those things are going to shift and to your point i also came to this grand like i am also transforming my relationship with love and grieving that because you know like as bell hook says it's like the majority of us were actually raised in something that wasn't love at all it could have been care right it could have been a presentation of love it could have been just straight up violence control that's exactly right and like particularly when we're talking about communal love because of white supremacy and transphobia and heteronormativity and all of these things it's like the majority of us have been in a system of control what we what we have been operating in is not communal care or true love and that has come with a lot of grief which i'm so grateful for the unsung heroes of my friends and family members that i've chosen and also my therapist shouts out to pam for all of those things because otherwise i wouldn't have been able to define that for myself and fully move through grief as graciously as i feel like i've learned how to it's also it takes so much discipline and courage to do that that combination because it's so easy there's a lot of times where i'm just like i should i just be like everyone else yeah i try and then i'm like i physically you can't psychologically can't somatically i'm sure you can't yeah i just can't right right i wish sometimes that yes totally it takes a lot of discipline and courage to be like no i'm going to continue breaking these cycles i'm going to continue choosing my path in life right i'm going to continue trusting and loving myself Mm. because really trusting yourself is an act of loving yourself loving yourself is an act of knowing yourself absolutely i love that absolutely because i think so many people like everybody loves asking a fat woman how are you so confident and i have started to answer the question it's like i don't actually pray to the altar of confidence i'm looking for self-trust like when i'm doing work i'm doing work to trust because confidence to me feels really fickle and is dependent on the reception from the people around you and there are going to be many times in my life when i'm in a room not only as a minority but just as a sense of friction to the value systems that exist right and so like i can't depend on confidence in those moments because i won't feel that way but i have to trust myself you know and that's that's the devotion there to me and my community that invisibly in that moment exists with me right yes so a couple other questions what are as as such a prophetic storyteller i'm curious about um the story that you tell yourself about who jez is and who they're becoming right now Hmm. oh kendra all your questions are really landing so softly like right in the middle of my heart i love it it. that's exactly where i want to be good question that's where i want to be i want to be in your heart i want to be in your heart for forever yes (laughs) oh um you know lately i really uh, this is Mm. what the may 1st 2023 i feel like i am an era and a season of evolving as an artist, mm. big time, yes. big time, big time. And here's why I think 
I, for the first time, I look at my life and I'm big on lifestyle design, designing mm. the life that you want to live. Yes. And especially as someone who's autistic and, you know, AD, ha, experience ADHD yes. and chronic episodes of depression, anxiety, all these things, I am so adamant on making sure my life feels easy mm-hmm. and joyful and um, valued and mm. intentional and thoughtful. And I've been working so hard towards doing that. And now yes. I feel like, okay, I look at my life and I'm working on my book. Mm-hmm. I'm in the final stages. I'm You're um, starting a podcast, right? I my podcast comes out tomorrow. Yes. yes. Dreaming so huge. different. Dreaming different. Dreaming different. Dream journal. It's with Deem Journal. Yes. And it's all about building the future through a neurodivergent lens. I can't wait. And then um I'm also just joined the New York Neo Futurists, which is an experimental theater company. And they do shows every Friday and Saturday, and it's all short form plays, two minutes or less. I can't wait to show up. Ah, I'm gonna be in a five week run starting Oh August. my gosh. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And Congratulations. it was really like, it was, yes. it was a, the most intense and most creatively mm, fulfilling so experience auditioning for that. And yeah. so doing all of that and writing plays for the first time, I've never written mm. plays before, writing plays and performing them and being part of this ensemble, I feel like, and doing all of these different projects, I'm looking at my life and I'm seeing all of these seeds I've planted. Right. And they're not yet, you know, trees and like giant flowers, yes. but I see them sprouting. And that's a really beautiful It's your turn. Feeling. It it's is your ro- turn. Right. I feel like I'm just, uh, okay. Do you experience any doubt? When you tell me all those things, I'm like, I feel zero doubt about that for you. Oh. Like, it, so I'm curious if you experience any doubt and how you tend to that doubt. Mm. And as we're in Mental Health Awareness Month, what does it mean to tend to those bouts of depression that are going to come or the feelings of fear that come up while we're in our purpose? Like, what are maybe three or just a few or even one major kind of practice that you show up for? Mm. I think my doubt you know, speaking of depression comes with my capacity because mm. I have such, again, six Capricorn placements. My ambitions that. are big. I yes. want to write and create my, and own you will show. have it. I want multiple books and you'll have it. I want to go on multiple tours. I want reach. I it. want impact. I want to, um, you know, I want to keep performing. I want to sit, right. be in a musical one day. I have these very big dreams. Totally. It's taken me a while to be able to say them out loud so clearly like that. Right. But now that I'm here, those are I'm dreams. Like, those are futures. Those I, like, again, I hear all this and i'm like those are those are reality those wow, are presents yeah you. i'm like i i believe that but the doubt comes in me understanding that i go through depressive episodes once every three right. weeks totally and i've been in uh, ketamine therapy psychedelic therapy for the past year so i have been able to raise my baseline right raise my mood but i still i've been experiencing this since i was a kid totally. i think I'm, it's going to be for the rest of my life to some extent right it might not be as intense of course and then also being autistic i get so overstimulated so sometimes i'm like if I want to act and I want to be in shows and films, how am I going to be on set for 16 to, you know, 17 mm. hours a day? And how am I going to do all this? So a lot of the doubt comes in. How am I going to um, pace like myself? Sustainably show up. Sustainably show up. Yes. How do I do that? If I have all of these different dreams, because sometimes I do get the world's voice in my head. Like you can't do yes. all of it. You're being too ambitious. Right. You can't have that many talents. You have Absolutely. to cut down. You have to focus. But I'm like, no, in my heart, I want to write 
act, perform, right. sing. I want to. Those things are on my chest right now. Yes. They're begging me. They're pounding at my chest and yes. begging me to release them. Yeah. So I just, exactly. to, your, to your question of what do I practice, I just practice affirming myself all love that. the time. Literally wake up, just write affirmations. Go to sleep. Yes. I have YouTube affirmations playing while I sleep. Yes. Like sleep hypnosis, affirmations, healing frequencies. Right. I meditate. You're feeding like a new web. Yes. You're feeding a new web. Okay, the meditative practice is huge for me yes. too. Like I just realized I need to hear my own voice before anybody or anything else's. Mm. Right? Like that is so essential for me. And again, that's a part of like relearning my own internal voice. Um kind of seating my own voice at the throne of other people's voices in society's very loud voice. Mm -hmm. And I find that it's also just again it's that baseline, that gentle baseline that we learn how to trust, which is like, I actually know myself pretty well. And every single day I'm giving myself more to tools to know myself better. And like, I can't let my fear of not having that knowing, like run away with my dreams. Right. It's like, I have to be present for them. I deserve, I deserve to be present for them. And you deserve yes. to be present for yours. Thank you. It's about that. It's pre being present for it. Yeah. Cause if it's happening within us, that means it's happening, you know, multiverse, everything, everyone totally. wants. It's, wants yeah, it's happening. It. Yeah. The future. Any, anytime I feel like that calling or the totally pool, that's future me telling me, Hey, this is, this is what we should, where should we should go? Let's go. That's here. exactly right. And you can, you know it, you know it so deeply. Do you know what your human design is? I'm a projector. So I'm wait for the invitation. Yes. Yeah. I'm a manifesting generator, a five, one manifesting generator. And that is also like waiting to respond, like trusting kind of the, that sacral and like knowing that gut instinct mm. and like not initiating just because, cause it often comes from a place of lack. And the more that I've, I feel like I was able per usual with spiritual languages. I'm always so grateful for the fact that I feel like they just give me words to place on the things that I already know. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I, I've always known that I was supposed to be like multi-hyphenate and multidisciplinary and that I would in fact do all of those things in my own time. Um, and that I would need other people to make it happen, like other energy to make it happen. Right. So like, it feels like it's also kind of gratifying the part of that inner child in me that always felt like I would be alone in this journey with these big dreams, mm -hmm. like that young, very Saturnian Capricornian, like weight of like, everything is on me. I feel like as I've gotten older and stepped more into community care, I'm realizing that like a part of my waiting to respond is also trusting that the universe will bring me the hearts and the minds and the voices that I need to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Cause it won't just be me and it will, it will never be just for me either. That's what manifesting is. It's a collaboration with the universe. It is. I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand about. It's not just about claiming what you want. It's yes. claiming what you want, believing that you deserve it and right. trusting that the universe is supporting you. Yes. In your pursuit of it. Totally. And that it's like actually like a part of the world's like, raising the vibration you know what i'm saying bringing good vibes is that like we're not just doing it for us like i'm such a firm believer that like i and everybody around me you said like we all have a purpose we all have a gift and we all have many gifts and like we're we're going to make it happen not just for us but because the world needs it like the world needs us to be in our highest and most colorful expression yes. and i really believe that and you're such an ode to that mm -hmm. you your presence your gifts such an ode to that mm -hmm. um to wrap up i have to ask you what would you say if you were to name five ingredients in the recipe of being a cycle breaker, what would you say they were in your own personal experience? Mm. Devotion, mm. 
which you know also i guess discipline also That's wow so capricorn again yeah it's there out. it's there Devotion and but you you talk your shit yeah. you talk your shit <laughs> um belief like deep belief mm. that what you want is possible and that a different life is possible for you absolutely um it's vision also pleasure mm. deep pleasure understanding pleasure that yes pleasure activism adrian marie brown and really uh, intuition mm -hmm. is that five and yes. what was it we said we said okay. devotion, devotion discipline, discipline but belief belief, belief pleasure pleasure intuition intuition okay i love it yeah i love it and i think that intuitive that intuitive nature you've spoken to a, a lot today and like yes. you're just deep knowing yes wait one more thing also safety yes. because for me everything stems from I a love. sense of safety which is why i feel safest when i'm with other queer people yes when i'm with other queer people of color when i'm with other disabled neurodivergent queer people of color i'm like yes. all right we are safe because we're good here we have so much shared language and yes. i know that i can just relax and when i'm Absolutely. relaxed that's when we can heal more that's when Absolutely. there's just more opportunities right well and again you can love. you can respond rather than react you can actually be present in that moment yes. and there's nothing i don't think that there's anything that we can really build or share with or i think even in conversation with our own internal knowing or the external forces around us unless we're in safety and i love the fact that you mentioned that because you are you are a safe space oh, yeah you're such a safe and divinely gifted human and i'm so grateful to be here with you thank you so much for coming oh thank you so of much course, for having of course of course let the people know years. where we can find <laughs> everything um i'm at jez chung on instagram at j-e-z-z-c-h-u-n-g my substack is jezchung.substack.com and let's see um you can listen to dreaming different out on by the time this comes out you can probably be there. listen to it on all platforms where you can find podcasts and this way oh, to that's change. Pretty much it. This way to change coming out next spring. So be on the lookout for that. We'll all be here. We'll be actively doing um, some of that work on, on the podcast Beautiful. come come next year. So <laughs> we'll see y'all there. Thank you so much, Jez. Thank so you. much love for you. Thank you. This podcast and every episode is produced and edited by Joey Gabala, music by Sufi Hamilton, and of course the voice of Kendra Austin. See you soon.